join me, if you would, in the book of Jonah. Good morning to those of you who are in the back who didn't hear my first good morning. It's good to be here this morning in the Lord's house. Encouraging to be here, amen? Exciting to be here. We do our... We are glad if you're visiting with us this morning for the first time, we are glad to have you and just pray that you will have already been and will be blessed by the remainder of the services. I did want to welcome uh, Joe and Lori back to the services. Yeah. If you get a chance to talk with them, if you don't like miracles, don't talk to them. But if you like to hear about miracles, then uh, feel free to... to, uh, uh, bend their ear a little bit, and they'll tell you a little bit of the story of what God has done in the last year in their lives. And it's been uh, s- nothing short of supernatural, right? And so if you need some encouragement, they're, they're the place to go uh, this morning. It's also sad to say that this is going to be Cole and Deborah's last Sunday here with us. I know that they probably didn't want me to mention that, but um, we're going to miss them. They're going to be moving tomorrow to North Carolina, and so they've been a blessing to the church for many years, and we've seen God do a work in their lives, and it's been um, nothing short of supernatural as well, and so we're going to miss them. I encourage you to pray for them in their journey. I know it's been a lot of work leading up to this, and I was just talking with Cole this morning just about just the relief of it being somewhat close to being to the end. And so uh, we want to pray for them and their journey. The Lord keeps them safe and then settles them in where they're at in a good church and a good church family. And, um, and then we just pray that they come back and visit us. Amen? Got to come back and visit us. So we love you guys and been thankful to get to know you. Yeah. If you want to join with me uh, in your Bibles this morning, we'll, we, we will continue our study through the book of Jonah. Through the book of Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. And um, this morning is going to be somewhat, again, of an overview. Last week we looked at the overview of God, God's purpose. Jonah is about really two main themes in Jonah. One is God, the a minister of mercy, the one who uh, orchestrates and brings mercy, uh, the, uh, an opportunity, if you will, to display his mercy. The other, main, the other main character or the main theme in Jonah is Jonah himself and um, his message that he brings to the Ninevites that bring about salvation to them. So those are the two main themes, and this week we're going to look at Jonah, the messenger of mercy. I'll give you a little bit of a review from last week. Last Sunday we discussed the first of two main themes in Jonah, namely God's sovereign mercy, and how God orchestrated an opportunity in Nineveh to display his mercy to this um, wicked people. Even Jonah was aware that when God called him to go to Nineveh and told him to tell the Ninevites that judgment was coming, Jonah was fully aware that uh, he was going there to bring mercy to this Ninevite people. He tells us in Jonah 4 in verse 2, he says, after the end of all of these events, it says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when when I was in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, 
For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So even Jonah knew that when God called him to go to Nineveh and to preach a message that judgment was going to come, it was in the Hebrew, I believe it's five Hebrews words that God, uh, that Jonah presents that judgment is coming in 40 days. A very, very simple message. But even Jonah knew that the purpose of the message was not necessarily prophetic in the sense of God's judgment coming, but more it was a call to the people of Nineveh to repent. It is important to note that Nineveh was not a special place, nor were they a special people. They weren't innocent. They weren't crying out to God for mercy. They weren't even crying out to God for help. Matter of fact, the Bible refers to Nineveh as being a people so sinful that their sins had reached heaven. This exact same phrase is used other, uh, in other places in Scripture. It's used to refer to Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of you are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah who was steeped in sin. And God uh, sends, rains down fire and brimstone on them. This same phrase is used to describe Sodom and Gomorrah just prior to God sending fire and brimstone on them. It also is the same term that's used in the book of Revelation to, to describe eschatological Babylon. And right before God sends judgment on them, this same phrase is used in the Greek, which says that their sins have reached up to the heavens. So, jo- so Nineveh was not a unique people in that they were not um, chosen because they brought some kind of a value to the situation. So the question is, why did Jonah, or why did Sodom and Gomorrah and Babylon get judgment, but the Ninevites get blessing? Why did Sodom and Gomorrah and Babylon and many other people in the Bible get blessing, but yet Nineveh, or get cursing, but yet Nineveh gets a blessing? The answer to the question is simple. The reason why Nineveh gets a blessing is because God had decided to plant his mercy on them. God had decided that they would be a means by which he would show his grace, display his mercy through them. Romans 9 and verse 15 and 16 says it this way, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it does not depend on human will or exertion. It does not depend on human ability or human desire, but rather it depends on God, who is the one who shows mercy. So Nineveh is a a display of God's mercy based upon a sovereign act of God choosing to make them an object of his grace and his mercy. The implications are simple. All believers are, are all, all believers have come into a relationship with God through Christ on the basis of his mercy. It's on the basis of his desire to display his mercy and his grace to an individual, and it has nothing to do with them at all. All we bring to the table when it comes to salvation is our sinfulness. We bring a broken and sinful humanity to God, and God, as a merciful God, 
as a gracious God, as a kind God, as a patient God, decides, determines to show a people his kindness. The implications are that God's sovereign mercy makes it possible for anyone, no matter how far you've run or how many sins you have committed, to be saved by God's mercy. It means that there are no limitations. There are no people who fall outside of the scope of God's ability to bring supernatural salvation. No one is too far gone. If you're here with us this morning and you're sitting there thinking to yourself that God wouldn't ever have a desire to save me, I'm insignificant, I'm unimportant, I've run from him, I've rebelled against him, I've sinned against him in, 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 in ways that uh, I wouldn't want to speak about in a public setting. My encouragement to you is that God is still a gracious and merciful God. And the Ninevites and the Apostle Paul and many others in Scripture could be defined by many of the same excuses that you have for not coming to Christ for salvation. It is God's ability and his right to show mercy and grace to those he chooses to show mercy and grace. And anyone who will come to him in repentance and faith, the scriptures promise that he will show them mercy and grace. Not on the merits of something that they have done, but on the merits of his own character. That is the reason why people get saved. It is because of God's character and not their own. This brings us this morning to our second theme of the book, which is God's stubborn messenger. God's stubborn messenger. And obviously we know who God's stubborn, stubborn messenger is. It's Jonah, right? Jonah is the one that God chooses. So in the same way that God chooses to bring mercy and grace to the Ninevites, God chooses to use a messenger to accomplish it, right? Could God have supernaturally just snapped his finger and all the Ninevites fell to their knees and got saved? Sure he could have. That's not outside of the realm or the scope of God's sovereign ability. But yet God chooses to use means to accomplish his purposes. So in the case of Nineveh, God has chosen to bring salvation to a very, very wicked people as a, really as a, a picture of what's going to take place in the future where the gospel is going to come to the Gentiles in the New Testament, but he chooses to show his mercy and his grace through this people, and he chooses to do it through two means. One of those means is the gospel. It is the message. There's a message that must, Nineveh must go, or Jonah must go and preach a message to the Ninevites for salvation to come to them. The message being preached is integral to the salvation of the Ninevites, even though God had sovereignly chosen to, to display his mercy and his grace through the Ninevites, God had also sovereignly chosen to use a means to accomplish it, and God will not bypass his means that he has chosen. So it is absolutely necessary that Jonah goes, right? A hundred percent, if Jonah sits back and says, I'm not going to go, the Ninevites don't get saved because the message must be preached. And then, and, and you know, it's interesting as we read through the story of Nineveh, 
we know that even the attitude of the one preaching the message doesn't really matter, does it? It really, it really in the end, is all about God's mercy. It's all about God being merciful because Jonah goes there and he complains and murmurs and you, you know the story. It wasn't about Jonah having the right attitude and it wasn't about the Ninevites being a special people. It was about God deciding to show his mercy to a people through the messenger, the stubborn messenger, Jonah. And what we know is that... Um, we, before we're saved, are like the Ninevites. We need God to show mercy to us, right? We need, to sh- we need to receive a sovereign act of mercy. The Bible even says it's, it's hard to sometimes, as, as believers, it's hard to understand, but the Bible even says that before a person is saved, that they don't even desire the things of God. It uses the terms like we're the enemies of God. And sometimes we don't understand that, we don't comprehend that because we think well of ourselves, especially when we're unconverted. But that's the reality. Before a person is unconverted, there's something about them on the inside that they're all about themselves. They're selfish. And God is all about selflessness. They're, they're about pride and God's about humility. They're about sin and God's about righteousness. Everything about God, God is just to an unbeliever and they're unholy and unrighteous. And everything about them causes there to be this conflict. And so, so um, before we're saved, that's our condition. After we're saved, we're, we're, we're pictured by Jonah, or we're represented by Jonah, meaning that we're called to go out and be messengers of the gospel of Christ. We're called to share this message through which God will show his mercy. I mean, think about it. Do you think if Jonah would have done all of the evaluating processes that we do before we witness to somebody that he would have ever witnessed to? He did do all of that. That's why he tried to go the other direction. He did all of the evaluations that we do before we witness because we are dependent on man to bring salvation to man or we're dependent on that man to come to some type of a epiphany of intellect that he saves himself. What we don't depend on is that God can sovereignly take that message and convert that soul. So we don't preach the message trusting in the sovereign Lord to bring about his purposes through that message, which is why we are possibly in the 21st century a very, um, we're very weak when it comes to our evangelism when it comes to sharing the gospel with people because we're not leaning on the sovereign God to bring salvation to an individual. We're leaning on human intellect or craftiness or whatever might be the case. So let me read to you, and we'll get into our text this morning. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, it says it this way. This is our call. He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God has given us the ministry, you and me as Christians, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, he explains it further, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself by not counting their trespasses against them, which is what we call mercy, when he forgives them of their sins, and entrusting to us the message of, of reconciliation. 
So God has reconciled us to himself by mercy. He has shown us mercy. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because God has shown you mercy. He hasn't held you accountable for your sins because he held Jesus accountable for your sins. It's really all about there being a substitute. Somebody took your place because you were incapable of paying for your own sins. Somebody came down from heaven by the name of Jesus God the Son took upon himself a human form, became a man, it says in Philippians, and he died on the cross on the basis of your sins and my sins. It's called substitutionary atonement, where he takes our place and, and, and offers to us his salvation. Then he calls us to, met, to, to share that message with other people. He calls us to be a messenger of reconciliation. I've often said that Wherever God has placed you in life, whatever career he's placed you in, whatever school he's placed you in, whatever community he has placed you in, it's not for the purpose of your pleasure, it's for the purpose of your evangelism. You've been positioned, if you will, by God as a minister of reconciliation. And, and, and the greater we understand our own reconciliation to God, the more effective we will be sharing that with other people. You remember when the, um, was it Mary that went into the, to Simon's house and Jesus was meeting there with Simon, the Pharisee, and, and Mary comes in and she anoints his feet with oil and she wipes his feet with her hair and she's just in this worshipful moment and, and Simon has these things to say to almost to reprimand her. And Jesus says to Simon, he says, Simon, he says, to whom much has been forgiven, to whom much for, has been forgiven, much thanks will be given. In other words, what he's saying, and he says, and to, who, to whom little has been forgiven, little thanks will be given, or little worship will be given. And so what he's saying to Simon is, is you see yourself as, you don't see your reconciliation to God as being a big deal, so you have very little fruits of it. But this woman sees her reconciliation to God as a major thing, a significant thing, and he says, be, and as a result of that, she has major fruits of it. Major, she's a, she's a good worshiper. She's a good worshiper. So we've been, we've been called, as reconciled to God, we've been called as messengers of reconciliation. And we have to remember that God's not going to reconcile people to himself unless his messengers go and share the message. He, the means is just as important as the fruits. And God has chosen means, which is, which is us, to accomplish that task by sharing the gospel with other people. There are four things I want you to think about and consider this morning as relates to this idea of means of the gospel or means of, of the messenger. Four things that we see in Jonah, they're really introductory, but we, we, we'll, we'll start in the first three verses of Jonah and we'll look at some other texts as well. Verse number one, it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittiah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah is... Uh, called here, we have the, um, the, the beginning stages, if you will, of Jonah's commissioning to go 
on this journey to Nineveh to share the gospel with the Ninevites. And we'll look further at this next week and to kind of see his response and his attitude towards things. But four, four background things, if you will, this morning are this. Number one, if you're taking notes in your, in your sheet there, this is how it will go. As a messenger, Jonah was commissioned by God. As a messenger, Jonah was commissioned by God. What you notice in the very first verse is that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. We don't see in the, in, the, in the passage of Scripture, it doesn't tell us how the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. It just simply tells us that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and it, and it tells him, it commissions him, it instructs him on what he is supposed to do. And so as a messenger of the Lord, Jonah was commissioned by God. The first thing underneath that, if you're a very detailed note taker, is this. God commissioned Jonah through his word. God commissioned Jonah through his word. Okay, we don't, we don't know if it was a written word. We don't know if it was verbal. What we know is, is that God commissioned, that God's word to Jonah was authoritative in commissioning him to go and to do the task that he was calling him to do. We learn right away that God's word is sufficient for us to be obedient we don't need more than the Word of God. We just need the Word of God. When God calls us to do something in His Word, that Word, that commissioning, that calling is significant and sufficient enough that we ought to obey it. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. In other words, the word of God is sufficient to prepare us for everything that God has called us to. It is sufficient to call us into what God wants us to do. So right away we understand, we recognize that God is commissioning Jonah in the same way that he commissions us and that is through his word. And his written word is just as powerful as his as his spoken word. There isn't a difference. That's why he says in 2 Timothy that, God's, that every word of God is God-breathed. It's as if the written word is the spoken word. He is speaking the word, and it's being jotted down on paper. So we learn, first of all, that God commissioned Jonah through his word. We learn, secondly, that God's commissioning of Jonah is necessary for his fruitfulness. God had to commission Jonah. God had to call Jonah. And through the calling of God and through the commissioning of God, there was an, an empowering of Jonah to go and to accomplish the task that he was called to do. Not just anybody could go to Nineveh and experience the fruitfulness that Jonah experienced because not just anybody was called to do it. There was a special calling on Jonah's life to go to Nineveh. There was many different things, and, and, and we, aren't, we aren't even told in Scripture all of the different aspects and all of the different reasons why Jonah was commissioned to Nineveh. But what we know is, is that God put a commission on Jonah that through Jonah's obedience to that commission, there would be fruitfulness. There is a power and authority there is a power and authority that comes by knowing that you've been commissioned by God. 
And when you have that understanding that you have been commissioned by God as Jonah was, you will be fruitful. There, there will be fruit. God's word, Isaiah 55 says, God's word will never return void. It will never return empty. It will always accomplish the purposes for which it was sent out. So when God commissions, when God commissions Jonah, his commission is necessary for Jonah's fruitfulness, for Jonah's success. In the book of Luke, Jesus tells his disciples to stay at Jerusalem for a season until the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And once the Holy Spirit has come upon them, then they can go out and preach the gospel. In Acts 1.8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Romans 10, verse 14 and 15 says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear unless somebody is preaching to them? How will they hear unless somebody is preaching to them? Somebody has to share the gospel with them. And how will they preach unless they are, unless they are sent? There has to be an empowering by the Holy Spirit of God. In Jonah's life, it came through the message that God brought to him, the commissioning that God gave him that imparted to him the power and the ability to be fruitful in what he was doing. In the same way for us, we are called and commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and it's that calling and commissioning and the Spirit of God empowering us that makes us fruitful for the task that is ahead of us. We're not fruitful because we bring any special things to the table, are we? Are we fruitful because we're creative? Are we fruitful because we're artistic and we make it look pretty? Or are we fruitful because we're obedient to the call of God? God's commissioning is necessary for our fruitfulness. The third thought under the first point is God's commissioning takes place, get this, God's commissioning and empowering takes place when a person is converted. The reason why the Lord tells them to stay at Jerusalem was because the Holy Spirit had not yet come. We live in a different dispensation now that a moment, the moment an individual comes to know Christ as their Savior, the moment that a person bows their knee to the Lordship of Christ, they are empowered by the Spirit of God to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. It is at the moment that you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. If you say, well, well, Pastor John, I'm just not called or I've not been commissioned or God has not imparted to me the power to accomplish the task or to be fruitful in the task that's ahead of me. If you say that, you refuse to believe what the Word of God teaches us. At the moment that a person is converted to Christ, that the Spirit of God comes to live within them and that in the Spirit He commissions them to go out into all the world. Really, the only commission that he has given them as individuals is to go out into all the world and share the gospel with people. You see, the reality of it is, is we, we wrestle with, are we authoritative? Is this going to be fruitful? And those are the things that we ought not to be wrestling with. We ought to be wrestling with, are we, we ought to be obedient towards the call of God on the basis that we have been empowered by God at conversion. You've been filled with his spirit. He says that in, in Matthew 28, where this great commission is given, he says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority, get this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Jesus says all authority, you talk about having a, a, a power to be fruitful. Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth have been given to him, not just in heaven, but also on earth. And he says, therefore, what? Therefore, go. There, all authority has been given to Christ in heaven and in earth. All power has been given to Christ in heaven and earth. Therefore, go, or as you are going, make disciples of every nation, of every people. It's the, the word is, in the Greek is ethnos here. It's just ethnicity. It doesn't mean you have to go to another country to fulfill this task. As a matter of fact, by living in America, you can fulfill this task just by witnessing to your neighbors that you can witness to every ethnicity in Hollister, California. He says, on the basis of all power being given to Christ, we are to go. And as we are going, we are to make disciples of all ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So he closes with, he, he starts with, all power has been given to me. He gives the commission to the disciples. And then he says at the end, don't worry, I'm always with you. So then the power that he spoke of to begin with is now become his power in them. That's, that's the promise. His power is in them, and therefore, therefore they will be fruitful. They will be fruitful. One of the things that we have to see in Jonah, practical to us, is that in his commissioning, in God calling him to go and to preach the gospel, in God making him a messenger of mercy, God imparts to him the strength to accomplish that, and then God ministers through him the fruits that will come out of it. And as you see in Jonah's life, that's all it took. The reality is this, if God has his hand on you, and if you're a believer this morning, does God have his hand on you? He does. It's literally not a matter of whether or not he has his hand on you. It's really a matter of whether or not you have accepted that he has his hand on you. Jonah shows us the importance, the value, if you will, of his calling. And in his calling, he was empowered. He was authoritative. He could go and share this message with the Ninevites. The second thought this morning, the second foundational truth, is as a prophet, Jonah was representing the future. Okay, so the first one is as a messenger, Jonah was commissioned by God the second thing is, as a prophet, Jonah was representing the future. Jonah was a prophet, and that meant that Jonah was giving a, um, in prophecies, what would happen in Old Testament prophets is they would do something, they would teach something, they would live something in their, in their current setting that had, that had immediate application to it, but it also had future application to it. There was something that they were doing or saying that really, yes, it had fulfillment in that moment. Jonah really did go to the Ninevites and the people really did get saved. And they were Gentiles and, and Jews were really the only ones that understood the gospel back in the Old Testament. So, 
So you see all that being fulfilled, and that's all true and real, but you have a picture uh, uh, of the future. He's teaching us something about the future. And the, the future fulfillment, well, the immediate fulfillment, the immediate truth is that there was a true story of Nineveh. Jonah is sent to call them to repentance. They were Gentile people. They were wicked people. And that through the call, God would bring them mercy. Through the gospel, God was going to show mercy to them. The future fulfillment of this prophecy is that Jesus, the disciples, and the church are all sent to call sinners to repentance. Jesus goes to the people to call them <coughs> to repentance. He, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, he, he's calling people. Jesus goes around and preaches repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus' message, his primary message, is really not any different than Jonah's message. It's interesting. It's, uh, even though it was a message of condemnation, right? Would we say that Jonah's message was a message of mercy or a message of condemnation? God is going to destroy you in 40 days. Was it a message of condemnation or mercy? It was a message of condemnation through which God would show, through which, that's the gospel. We want to preach the message of mercy. Without preaching the message of condemnation, it's the message of condemnation that brings about mercy. Jesus of all people preached the message of repentance or else you're going to be judged. And the reason for that is, is it is the message of God's judgment that breaks a person down to their knees where they bow before the holy God and in bowing before the holy God, they become a recipient, immediately a recipient of his mercy. Too many people are standing up and thinking that God is showing them mercy and they've never knelt down before the holy God. They've never been broken by his law. They've never been broken by his holiness. They've never been shattered. The Bible tells us in, in Isaiah, at the end of Isaiah, he says that God pays attention to those who are broken and contrite spirit and those who tremble at his word. And that word broken is like two fine rocks that have been rubbed together and the only thing that's left is just like a powdery substance. Many people have not received God's mercy. They know all about it. And they even want it, but they don't know that they need it. And so it is the message of judgment and condemnation and the fact that all men are sinners. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It is recognizing that we're all sinners and we're all under the judgment of God that causes us to fall down in front of this holy and righteous God and say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need you. And then he sends his son into the world to bring about salvation, right? So this Jonah is presenting us for us a future picture of what's going to happen. And I love this, I love this truth that comes out of this. Remember this. Through the call to repent, just like in Jonah, God will bring mercy to sinners. Through the call to repent, God will bring mercy to sinners. He says in Luke 5, 31 and 32, and Jesus said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Prophecy is God's way of revealing the future. To get that, 
Jonah was presenting to us a futuristic truth. You know what's amazing about that truth? That as we look at Jonah's prophecy, lots of Ninevites get saved, don't they? In other words, because God was prophesying through Jonah about what was going to happen in the future, and he goes to the Ninevites and he shares a message with them of condemnation so that God could show them mercy, and all of the Ninevites get saved. What does that, what does that say to us? What did Jesus say to the disciples in John 4 when, when they were there with the woman at the well and, Jesus, and the, the disciples have gone down to get some meat and they, and they come back up and they're trying to get Jesus to stop talking to this woman, right? And they're like, Jesus, come on, you've got to eat. You've been working so hard, you've got to eat. And Jesus says, hey, I got food, I got food that's way more important than this. And you know what Jesus says to them? He says, look out there at the fields, he said, they are, they are white unto harvest. Many people say, scholars say that the, the way that they would wear, the pieces that they would wear on their heads would be such that, it would be, that he would be looking out over the masses of people and saying to them, look, the fields are white unto harvest. If we believe that the prophecy of Jonah is something that's meant to tell us something about the future, then we must believe that if we preach the message of the gospel, if we preach the truth of God's holiness and his justice and his righteousness, and we, we present to people the grace and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, we must believe if, if Jonah was a good prophet, then we're going to see that happen in the future. Right? And you think about it, the, the Gentiles, when the gospel came to the Gentiles in, in the book of Acts, it was massive conversions. Sometimes I wonder if we doubt what God is capable of doing. It is God's way. Prophecy is God's way of showing us what will happen in the future, not what might happen. God is going to fulfill through Jesus, through the disciples, and through the church what Jonah was commissioned to do with the Ninevites. Revelation 5, 9 says it this way, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. As a prophet, Jonah shows us that there is a guaranteed fruitfulness that if we will do what God has called us to do, that God will produce the fruits. You don't have to produce the fruits. We're not harvesters. God's a harvester. What are we? We're sowers and we're waterers. That's what our job is. If our life, listen, if our life was based upon if our success in life was based upon how many seeds we sowed and how much watering we did as Christians from a spiritual perspective, how successful would we be? Not how many fruits have we, have we, have we produced, but simply how many seeds have we sown and how many seeds have we watered? Sometimes you're the seed sower, sometimes you're the seed waterer, 
But God is always the seed, the fruit producer. He's always the fruit producer. So you can sow seed in the ground, right? You go and sow. I know a lot of you guys are, are into plants and things like that. When you put that seed into the ground, you expect there to come uh, a plant out, right? How many of you, come on, just confirm for me that you do. <laughs> okay, I'm glad to, glad to see that. Do you think there's something supernatural about that seed going into the ground and that plant coming out? There is, isn't there? But yet you believe it. And you still put that little dead thing in the ground and you still put nice good dirt on the top of it and you still water it every day and you might put some special fertilizer on it or whatever and you do all that stuff and you believe it's gonna grow up, don't you? I don't know why we can't see that same in our spiritual life. I don't know how, Lord, you're gonna do this, but I'm gonna put this dead thing in the ground in my friend's life. It has no power in and of itself but man, I sure believe that you as the Holy Spirit have power to awaken it up and bring life. I'm just gonna put it there and I'm just gonna water it some. And to believe as much about the spiritual as we do about the carnal. And to patiently wait and watch God bring the fruit. As the prophet Jonah was representing the future, the third thing that we see as a background to Jonah is Jonah is a type. Jonah is a type, or as a type, Jonah was reflecting Christ. Matthew 12, 39 through 41 says it this way. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jonah was going to give them a symbol, if you will, of a future event of Christ. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, someone greater than Jonah or something greater than Jonah is here. So Jonah was a reflection of Christ. In his being in the belly's stomach for three days, Christ was in the, in the, um, in the center of the earth for three days and three nights. He was a representation of Christ. Let me give you a few ways that he was a representation of Christ or a, a type of Christ, a reflection of Christ. Jonah called the Ninevites to repent. Jesus calls the world to repent. Jonah was cast into the sea and swallowed by a fish. Jesus was cast into the midst of wicked men and swallowed up by death. Jonah spent three days and nights in the fish's belly. Jesus spent three days and nights in the center of the earth. Jonah was vomited out. Jesus resurrected. I love the picture of that, right? Death couldn't handle Jesus. Death couldn't handle, that fish couldn't handle Jonah anymore. And death couldn't handle Jesus. Jesus won. Jesus was resurrected. Jonah's being vomited out leads to the deliverance of all of the Ninevites to the preaching of the gospel. And Jesus' resurrection leads to the deliverance of all of the unsaved, also by the preaching of the gospel. As a believer, get this, as a believer, we are a reflection of Christ. That means everything that you do, and you notice that it focuses on the positive things because in a sense, we focus, we reflect positively on the person of Christ when we do what he tells us to do. 
But the opposite is also true. We reflect negatively on him when we don't do what he tells us to do. This is what it means to be a Christian. We are to reflect on Christ. We are not just to speak the gospel, but we are to be the gospel. Imagine if Jesus was writing the New Testament today and writing the gospels, and he was writing it on the basis of the 21st century. What would he pick about your life to say, hey, look it, I was just like that. Because that's what it's supposed to be like to where that he can point at our lives and say, that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's like when he goes out and he talks about the sower and the seed and he, he uses all of these analogies that are physical so that we can see and touch and understand them, right? He uses all of these things that represent or reflect on him or point to him. As a type of Christ, we are to be pointing constantly to Christ. And so we need to be obedient to him so that we might reflect him. We're to reflect him in our marriages. We're to reflect the relationship of Christ and his church in our marriages. We're to reflect Christ in how we raise our children. We're to reflect Christ in how we talk. We're to reflect Christ in how we work at our jobs on Monday through Saturday or Friday. We're to reflect Christ in everything that we do. We're to reflect on him so that he can say, hey, look, remember Jonah? Remember he was three days and three nights in the belly? That's just like me. And I'd say, remember John? Remember that guy, John? Remember when he, that's reflecting on him. And, and Jonah was a type. He was it, Typology, he was a type of Christ in, in those ways in which he was obedient to him. He was a reflection of Christ. And we also ought to be a reflection of Christ in our lives. So that people might not just say, I hear what you're saying, but they say, I see what you're saying. Remember what Jared read this morning, Jesus picking out his disciples and calling them? What did he say to each one of his disciples? Did he say, come and hear? What did he say? Come and see. Come and see. That's what Jonah was. He was an example. We are that as well. The last thought this morning to give you a background on, on witnesses being a good witness or being a good, being a good evangelism. We must acknowledge that we've been called, commissioned, empowered by God. We must recognize that we are um, representing or we are the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy and therefore there are, there are guaranteed fruits. We must realize that we are a type or a reflection of Christ. And then as a, as a historical figure, Jonah revealed to us humanity. The Bible says in 2 Kings 14, 23 through 27, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all, his sins, from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had made which he had made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittiah, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, 
but there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. What we see is just simply a narrative. Jonah was a real person. Jonah reveals to us throughout the book that we are going to study what we do. He reveals to us ourselves. He shows us our attitudes sometimes. He shows us how we don't want to do what God has called us to do. He shows us how we rebel against God and how we run from God and how we argue with God and how we complain when God doesn't do the things that we want him to do. He shows us how we want to show mercy on the things that help us. It's interesting because all throughout the book of Jonah, Jonah complains about God showing mercy on the Ninevites, but he never complains about God showing mercy to him, which we see several times through the book of Jonah. And then in the end, he complains because God doesn't show mercy to a plant. And the whole purpose of that plant was to bring Jonah some, some shade, right? So Jonah wanted, Jonah wanted God to show mercy to that plant because it helped him. He shows us how that's how we are. We can see a lot of our flesh in Jonah, can't we? We want God to show mercy on everybody that we want God to show mercy on. We want God to show mercy on us, and we love God. But listen listen to me. For 150 years, Israel has been a wicked nation. Israel, the Bible says, and if you study the kings, uh, King Jeroboam was the 11th king after Solomon. And it says, if you study history, you study uh, 2 Kings and Chronicles, you will find this, that every king was wicked in the eyes of the Lord. And here's what Jonah gets to prophesy to them in 2 Kings 14. Jonah says to them, God's going to expand your borders. What do you call that? What do you call when 150 years of wickedness leads to God expanding their borders? Call that mercy. We see in Jonah what we're all like. And man, I thank God that Jonah was a believer. And it's great to know that even with all of Jonah's fallenness, he was one of God's children. With all of his weaknesses, with all of his failures, with all of his running from God and trying to get on the wrong boat and being in a, you, you, all of that stuff, he was still God's. You know what? God could have at any point said, you know what, Jonah, I'm just done with you but he sticks with him the whole journey, doesn't he? He stays with him to the very end, and I was just reading this this morning in the fourth chapter, and I watched God, the God who created all things and sustains all things, has a conversation with a man who has just run from him and has just watched a whole nation of people, a whole lot of people be converted, and I watched God have a kind conversation with that man who is angry because God has done something merciful. I just don't understand that. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But what it says to me is God is more merciful than we are. God is more merciful than we are. And when we think about us, we think about this idea of evangelism, that we're, we're Jonah. One scholar said that. He said those very words. Every Christian is Jonah. And we can see ourselves in him. We've got to learn some things, though. There's, there's obedience that's necessary for the conversion of mankind. 
I was reading an article last night, and I'm going to just close with, with uh, this thought and then give you a recap. The article said this, what if, what if a person's conversion was completely dependent on you sharing the message with them? And we know that that's not necessarily true because there's so much more that goes into it. But what if Jonah wouldn't have gone? What would have happened to Nineveh? You say, well, Pastor John, somebody else would have gone. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But God called Jonah. And God has planted you on whatever. He's planted me on 1000 Oak Creek Court in Hollister, California. Why has he put me there? As a witness, Jonah teaches us the basics for knowing, the, the basics that we must know as witnesses. In closing, first, we are called and empowered to evangelize by conversion. Second, as we obey, we are guaranteed success. Thirdly, in our, in our obedience, we are evangelist by our life. We reflect on Christ. And lastly, the call to evangelism is difficult. It's not an easy call. If you're here with us this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I will say this at the very beginning. God could have sent you this morning here because he wanted you to receive his mercy. He wanted you to know his grace. He wanted you to experience his salvation. And he orchestrated an opportunity for you to experience his mercy and for him to display his mercy by sending you here this morning. My challenge to you, as the scripture says, is repent. Turn away from your own self-focused ways and turn to Jesus. Jesus is salvation. 1 John 5 says this, he who has the Son has life, but he who has not the Son does not have life. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a believer, and as we go through the book of Jonah, my prayer is, is that we would become revitalized in our passion for others, that we would become impassioned to share the gospel with our neighbors and our friends and our our fellow workers and whoever God sends down our path, knowing that he has called us, commissioned us, and empowered us to do it. He has guaranteed fruits by giving us an Old Testament prophet to show us the results of sharing the gospel with people and knowing that it's not going to be easy. Father, we do thank you for our time together this morning. I pray that you will infuse in our hearts a, a new passion, a, a heart for the lost. And, and if there's someone that's not saved here this morning in our congregation, in, in this church <coughs> that you've called to be here, I pray that you would speak to their heart and open their heart and display to them your mercy and grace and display through them your mercy and grace if you would. I pray your blessing upon this time that we've had together this morning. May it be fruitful for your glory and for your purposes. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you.